people are like, man, I'm paying $75, $85 for this venue fee. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, they, they, they want to see like the value and what they're paying for with that. Cause yeah. a lot of people, they don't see like, especially for these larger events, like there's a ton of costs that go into, I mean, we're, I mean, that's going beyond like the local scene, but that's something that a lot of people don't think about. to the absolute guard podcast yep we're the podcast that chronicles the past and the present of the fighting game community and bring on various perspectives from arizona arizona uh, you can find us on twitch at twitch.tv slash spiral series youtube at youtube.com slash spiral series and on apple Podcasts and spotify under absolute guard uh, to all of you watching and listening uh, we appreciate all of you that have liked and subscribed uh, liked and commented or tweeted and retweeted uh, this is episode six, and this is another one of our episodes featuring drinks. I'm Benny, also known as AK Grandmaster B. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, uh, the man who loves to use Chun Stan Fierce. John, how are <laughs> you doing today, John? Pretty good, pretty good. Chun Stan Fierce is good in pretty much every game that I've seen her play. Yep. That, that is her button. Yep. And in, in yeah, Street Fighter true. 6, you can actually convert off it. It actually seems really cool. You can go stand fierce and then switch into stance and then do do a little short afterwards. It's pretty dumb. Nice. Nice, nice. So yeah. what are you drinking today? I am drinking a Lagunitas Maximus Colossal IPA. Um, oh, nice. I, I don't think I've had that one. I, we, the fun facts and what ties this back to fighting games is that I won this in the fighting game tournament. Our, our locals, sometimes they come up, come with prizes of the alcoholic nature. So. <laughs> nice nice what's new and exciting yes, benny uh nothing really i mean i'm just you know just actually just woke up but uh you know that's that's the that's the life of a night owl uh, <laughs> it's my it's my weekend so pretty stoked about that uh, i feel like i can it's it's later in the day for me so i can have a beer but do you have something to drink for early morning here for you uh yeah so i got me some oj it's in my uh tetris cup that i got from uh uh, what was that? Uh, Zapcon from a few years ago. Got fourth <laughs> place in the tournament there. So nice. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, and that's that's a uh, uh, OJ with all the pulp. I don't drink. There's no <laughs> no no pulp orange juice here. That's where the, the, the all the nutrients are, man. You got to chew your drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said one time, like, I don't want to drink grass, and I'm just like, well, then don't drink grass. Like, I'm not drinking grass. This is just OJ with pulp. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Today we just wanted to talk about, uh, I guess, a lot of the some of the local events that we've been involved in, because uh, as we've talked about before, like we've been involved in the scene uh, for about ten plus years, both as players and and TOs. Um, you know, we've done various events here uh, in Arizona, so we were going to touch a little bit on that, and then uh, basically just, I guess, kind of help on help people with uh, starting locals because that's something that uh, gets asked in our our Facebook group. Uh, you know, I'd say randomly, just from different people in uh other parts of the of arizona like some random 
city, Yuma, whatever, people will be like, hey, I'm trying to start this in the middle of nowhere. Like, what should I do? So something we were going to talk about today. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do we want to start by just talking about a little bit about our background and some TO experiences that we've had over the years? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I guess go ahead and we'll start with you. And uh, I mean, because you were you were in 09 or two, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I started in yeah, 09, so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, just touch briefly on a couple of the things that you've done in terms of like local events, and mm-hmm. then, you know, we can kind of just, we'll go from there. Sure, yeah. So I want to say it was 2000, and so I started playing in 2009 when, when Street Fighter 4 came out, and, um, you know, I, I, I spent a good, I want to say two years, I think, I think it was two years. Yeah, two years of just uh, playing the game and learning how to play fighting games and getting un- getting to understand how tournaments worked and were run. Because frankly, I had never really played in a tournament before. Like I did, I did high school sports and stuff, and by and large, like the tournament brackets were single elimination, and they didn't have, you know, there were courts and stuff. And it, it, I was I played tennis rather. Um, okay. So there were courts and stuff, and there were some analogies, but overall, like the coaches handled most of that stuff. So the actual like idea around running a tournament was still pretty foreign to me. Um, and then getting to Evo, uh, my first year at Evo was incredibly magical. And I got to see the huge reception and resurgence that the fighting game community had both after 2009 Evo and 2010 Evo. Uh, 2009, I didn't go to Evo, but I got to see, I was part of the growth burst. And then 2010, yeah. I got to see the growth burst firsthand from the inside. Um, so around 2012, I believe, was when I started realizing that every year after Evo, there's always a burst of community activity because it's the thing that gets people hype, you know? And then at that point, streaming was just starting to become a thing and people were finding more and more about the community. And I was like, oh, shoot, they people could probably use like a way in, um, a way to join the community while being welcoming um, and, you know, not being intimidated by the, you know, do you have to buy a stick? Do you have to... um, put up money to fit in, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to see if I could create like a welcoming tournament for Evo uh, for people that had just seen Evo and wanted to join the local Arizona community. So I, yeah. I, I came up with a tournament idea called Here Comes the New Challengers, uh, which was, <laughs> um, you know, that was I was trying to be on brand as far as like, it's a free tournament, you know, it's going to be as yeah. many games as you guys want. Any games that you saw at Evo, there's going to be a bring your own console area like like Evo had. Um, and, uh, it ended up being a pretty good, uh, pretty good turnout. I think we ended up with like a hundred people total. Oh, wow. Um, hundred people like for the, like for the, the first, first one, one, like after Evo. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like we were spread out across multiple games, like anime was there, 3d was there, street fighter was there. Um, uh, and uh, team hazmat was streaming it. And over time, like people thought here comes the, here comes some new challengers was kind of a dumb name. Um, cause it was kind of long, long in the mouth, long, yeah. to, long to say. Right. And, yeah. uh, so they ended up calling it MujiCon instead. Uh, and Mu- ah. at, at the time my handle was Samuji and then, you know, that's a very weeb name. Uh, and people just shortened it to Muji. Uh, and at that point, like, again, I had been in the community for about two years. And so like people knew who I was at that point. Um, I wasn't by any means like a outgoing or strong personality in the FGC at that point but they knew who I was at least. And they all wanted to like the, the, the local scene was actually really supportive of me running tournaments. And uh, it was kind of interesting getting to see what that looked like uh, 
from the TO perspective. And it, it's not like I, I ran it on my own either. Like I had the idea and uh, I did a bunch of uh, social media promotion and stuff. And there's my cat. Um, yeah. And uh, but the actual like running of the bracket and running of the event, like the person who taught me how to do that and did most of it at the time uh, was Terrence Carter or T-Dot. Um, okay. And so we partnered up and I had always wanted to make a make my own brand called Spiral Series. Um, and so MujiCon was like the first inception of that. And so like the stream that we run on the the YouTube channel that we use for this podcast even is still yeah. to this day Spiral Series. But TDOT was a founding member of the Spiral Series, so to speak. And that was our first event. Nice, nice. So. Uh, yeah, TDOT's, yeah, TDOT's always been helpful at, at events. Like, you know, if, he, if he's helping run brackets or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, yeah. he's always around, always, always down to help. Um, for those, I know you've told me this before, but for those that, that don't know, what's the inspiration behind Spiral Series? Spiral what Series. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. yeah like, the, what does that mean? Um, I really liked Tengen Tapa Guren Lagan, which is an anime that was all about spirals. Um, it, it, it was a lot about drills and how drills are spirals and spirals are double helixes and DNA and woven into uh, the human spirit and wanting to move forward in every possible way. Um, yeah. And so. That anime hit me really well. Sumuji is also a, a name I took from another anime uh, that has actually has to do with a spiral motion. Um, so oh, okay. I just ended up, yeah, I ended up really liking the spiral motif and kind of going with that from there. I put series at the end of it because I thought this is going to be a tournament series. I will just call spiral <laughs> series the tournament series. And that didn't end up <laughs> happening because I ended up running way too many tournaments over the years. <laughs> Nice, nice. Like so, yeah. I mean, that that's something actually I learned today about the whole MujiCon thing because I always just thought MujiCon was just something that was started. But like to actually hear you talk about like its its origins, like it started as something else before. Um, yeah, yeah. That that's that's news to me today because I didn't I didn't actually know that. So that's awesome. Yeah, I I always am really like tepid about bringing up MujiCon because it seems really egotistical because it has my name in it. Um, yeah, but it really. It, it was kind of nice because the community kind of adopted it and were, they, they picked the name for me essentially. Um, yeah. And so like it, it, it seems arrogant at first blush, but it, the community was really like, yeah. they, they, I didn't pick that basically. And that felt really nice uh, to know that the community yeah. was supportive at that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, yeah, I, I always bring up or I always like mention, like, you know, I think, I think the, the name's great and it, you know, it's, like you said, it it could it could sound egotistical because it does include your name, right? Like it yeah, does, yeah, totally. So it's like, oh, why would you why would you want to talk about your tribe that involves your name? Like, well, why not? Kind of thing. But I don't really see it as that. Like, I always I always saw it as something kind of, that was kind of like endearing and something that was like, um, I guess kind of like supportive of you and like a reflection of you and the fact that it was a uh, community driven event, like a free event. Because that's that's something that a lot of people like, you know, when they when they hear about TOs, they always think about like all the money that people make or this and that. And I was like, you know, a lot of a lot of us that have done this, we do it for the love of the game or the love of the community. Like, yeah. you know, I didn't get into TOing because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start making money on the side. Like, nah, I, like that was never my thought process. I, I think a big thing at the time is like the stigma that we were because like. Now nowadays, the it's an, always an ongoing debate about how are fighting games too hard, and are, is the community not welcoming the newcomers and whatnot. But there was an actual like generational battle between O Niners and OGs uh, when Street Fighter Four first came out, and so we were battling a different kind of stigma or a different kind of gatekeeping back then. Um, and so 
Muji Khan and was kind of a by nature of it being free, you know, it was it was yeah. about making sure that people weren't intimidated by the competitive aspect of it per se, while still holding yeah. like while still trying to take all the good parts of the joy of competition and stuff. But um, nowadays, I think that there isn't a huge need for. Uh, that notion anymore just because the FGC is incredibly welcoming and the fact that you don't yeah. again, again like the big problem was getting people to come out to locals um, yeah. because online wasn't viable back then and so you know the the putting yourself in a brand new situation in a brand new like environment with people uh, with nobody you know and stuff that's incredibly daunting for a lot of gamers I think and especially yeah. when um you know, the alternative is just staying home and playing the game that you want to play competitively anyway. It's just that online wasn't viable back then. And then we were also dealing with the 09er, 09er and OG generational gap at that time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's always that in kind of intimidation factor too. Like some people are like, if it's a free tournament, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I don't have any any skin in the game. I don't, you know, I haven't put anything up, right? Like other than maybe a venue fee. Whereas if even for $5, some people are like, well, that's just $5 I'm going to lose. And it's just like, I mean, whether that's, you know, if that's their mentality, that's fine. And that's understandable, especially if you're like just new and being like introduced to the scene. Like I get that, but you know, a free, free entry tournament, like you said, like it, it brings out people that, you know, maybe normally wouldn't like get out of their house and, you know, do those kind of things. Even back then it was, again, it was 2011 or 12 or something. Right. And that was, mm -hmm around when youtube was first starting to become a thing so the idea of people meeting each other in person after talking on the internet was still a little foreign to to the average society nowadays like we're on like we're, we have a video going right now of us talking into, into some mics and then we can pe have a parasocial relationship with our audience and whatnot but that con those concepts didn't exist uh back then and so the idea of meeting somebody that you met online in person was already daunting enough you know yeah yeah, no, yeah, different I, era. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was that was my kind of gateway into the TO scene, though. Like, what was what was your your uh, your first event that you ran here, Benny? Uh, so for for Arizona, like I touched briefly on the episode, like when we were talking with Rick about how I got started. That was back in uh, in Alaska, Alaska when yeah. I was there. That was in uh, 2010, and that was more kind of out of necessity. Mm -hmm. um just because and, and frustration because like you know we'd run tournaments and because the scene was local and we were a bunch you know for good friends and buddy buddy like you know things would run a lot longer than they should have um but yeah i ended up moving here march of 2012 um i wasn't able to get uh involved in the scene in like a to aspect just because of you know moving to a new place work family stuff uh you know my schedule didn't exactly match up so um for the first couple of years, I, you know, I, I think I attended the first Rambat of like that season when I got here. And then I wasn't able to attend another event for like a year and a half other than I think Evo that year. And then, man, I'd have to think um, when it, I'm trying to think of when I actually started doing something here, um, because I've always like, you know, I was always down to like help out, run brackets, uh, those kind of things. Um, but I'm trying to think, I think it was actually the, the scrub cup towards like the end of, uh street fighter street fighter fours era that i wanted to do something and it was more uh like you said um that idea i also got from um uh, from the alaska scene because it was just something like you know we'd always there's always you know it's uh when it comes to tournaments there's always players that are consistently at the top right and 
Um, the idea behind the Scrub Cup was to, you know, take out certain players, ban certain players from playing, so that other people had to have have a have their time to shine. And you know, granted, um, the name itself wasn't one that went over well over here in Alaska. <laughs> we didn't care. It was just like, oh, whatever. You know, you guys yeah, didn't yeah. you guys didn't do well. You're a bunch of scrubs, whatever. Um, but it was one of those things like, um, yeah, we wanted to give shine to some of those players. Cause I mean, you know, you enter tournaments and it's just like your tournament run for that day could, could go well, it could go bad. And, you know, some of it could be just a bad bracket. You know, maybe you run into the guy first that's been top three consistently, and then you go into losers and you run into somebody else. that has been like top eight consistently. And it's just like, well, now I'm on two and I'm out of this. Right. Yeah. And and another thing is like a lot of, a lot of tournaments at that time had been seeding their brackets based off of previous results right and so you were pretty much always if you were an 0-2 kind of person you were pretty much always guaranteed to get matched up with a killer seeding wise um immediately yeah. you know and it kind of stratifies that 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 gap between the, the top performers and less so right yeah exactly like yeah i mean it's a tough out even for even for like even the middle of the road players like you know you get you're gonna get paired up with somebody that's probably done well just because like you said based on seeding because mm-hmm. you know um those kind of things. So like, um, yeah, for me, the scrub cup was just, it was a way to, to ban certain players, um, from our scene, from participating and then giving the shine to, you know, the, the other players that, you know, maybe had gone zero and two or one and two, like regularly in tournaments. So I was fortunate to actually be a part of that event. And I think I ran the stream for it, but I do remember yeah. there were some criteria for who you banned, and it was tied to another event. If I recall correctly. Right. Uh, well, it was actually tied to like the Ranbats for like Street Fighter Five completely. Like I ended up going through Street Fighter Four, Chala- right? Yeah, Street Fighter Four. Sorry, yeah, Street Fighter Four. So I went through like every challenge bracket I could find, run by run by like said three S, run by yourself, anything I could find for Street Fighter Four, and like I basically went in there and was looking for everybody that placed top eight, even one time, because I wanted to have like just a general cutoff point where people couldn't question it right sure because a lot a lot of times like you know i could make a list and i can like you know put people together and just say you're banned and they'll be like why well i think you're too good well i didn't want it to be like that it was like i looked through all the results like i don't know how many brackets it was and i took down every day that made a top eight and it didn't matter how many times like if you made a top eight like i was gonna ban you like that was just the cutoff and you know i i personally like it wasn't I wasn't trying to personally ban myself, but I had made a couple top eights. So, you know, I was, you know, I was banned naturally. So and that was just the criteria. And I remember who was the one person that actually even said something about that was uh was Louis, was scumbag. Like I guess he had made one top eight as Blanca in some, you know, some Ranbat or some tournament, and he was on the list. And I remember when I like started to promote this and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna run this event. This is the band list. And he was like, Why am I banned? I was like, well, because you made top eight. He goes, yeah, that was like one time. I was like, well, I don't care. That's that's my criteria. I'm sticking to it. And, you know, sorry, you can't participate. Hmm. That's interesting. I actually ran into Louis this past weekend at Evo. So that's kind of interesting to hear him come up again. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. That's so, super I mean, cool. You know, yeah. So that was that was just the main criteria. And, and like I said, you know, because I figured like even if you didn't make top eight consistently, like if you were good enough to get there at some point, even whether it was bracket magic or bracket luck or whatever that they like I just figured that that was a great cutoff point. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much where that started. And um, I think the main challenge I had, like I um, like I alluded to earlier, was just just the name itself. 
So like, oh yeah, <laughs> when I brought when I brought when I brought the name up and I was like, hey, I wanted to run this. I you know I got some feedback. They were like, why does it have to be Scrub Cup? And for me, like I'm like the, you know, I'm not exactly like OG like you know Scott and Rick and the other guys that you know I wasn't involved in the scene at that time. You know, I'm an 09er. I got into the competitive scene at that time, but I still kind of have this like older mentality where like honestly I don't care what it's called. You can call it whatever you want, right? Um, it's just like it's more about the concept and the idea behind what the tournament is. But I guess to combat that feedback, you know, I was I was receptive to people like what people were saying. And I even put like a poll up in our group and I was like, hey, what do you guys want to name this instead? Like beginner brawl or whatever. I don't know. It was like I took some feedback, tried to try to see if people really wanted to change it or if they cared. And like, I don't know if I don't know if people just wanted to like vent about it. But, I, you know, people did say like, you know, I think it's demeaning or this and that. And I was like, well, I can understand. But I, know, I mean, I've seen positives and negatives with. to that. Ultimately, like um, one of the lasting lasting impacts that particular tournament had over had over our scene is that um the winner of that tournament his name is thrasher mike uh he Mm -hmm. he goes on to be one of the best street fighter 5 players and to the point where i think he's considered the best in street fighter 5 in arizona right now um and i you know i've had long conversations with him about his journey and you know he's he's every time he always brings up the scrub cup specifically um, as yeah. one of his motivating factors for continuing to be better because he, what it, what it did, what it did was you had, you had your ban list, right? And then that created yeah. anybody that wasn't banned. They were automatically like, well, how come I'm not part of the cool kids club? And some people, <laughs> some people will take offense to that and other people will, will rise yeah. to that as a challenge. Right. And exactly. Mike is somebody, I believe who actually rose to that and said, I, you know, like I, I want to be you know, I, I'm not a scrub and I want to be better than that. And I, he ultimately carries that, you know, over a decade of further of playing. Um, so yeah. in some ways, like I understand where it's coming from being like, you know, that's demeaning and you shouldn't be calling beginners yeah. scrubs because that's, they're fundamentally different. Um, yeah. scrub is a mentality and it's not necessarily a skill level. It's, it's, it's about whether or not you take feedback well, or you can reflect on your play very well or blame the game yeah. or blame other people instead. But the, um, I, I feel like if it wasn't negatively charged, you wouldn't have gotten a response out of Mike. And I don't think it would have carried the same kind of weight that it still carries today. So it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I remember being in that, um, I, I mean, I got some feedback from people, uh, even that day, like directly after whether it was from, uh, from, from Thrasher that day mm-hmm. after he won or whether that was, uh, I think second place was, uh, deranged tyrant Carlos. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember like, you know, it was it was like oh man i'm really glad that you did this like you know uh obviously thrasher was hyped up because he's like yeah i've never been in that kind of situation like you know i was nervous like but it was hype at the same time and it's just like you don't know what that situation's like because like you know if you're going oh two one two 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 in tournaments like you know you're never making it into those those deeper sides of the bracket and being being the featured part of street like oh you're in losers finals now you know yeah if i could underline that actually the back then uh again this is what 2015 maybe maybe 2015 possibly 2014 and you know i mentioned it you know back in 2012 or whatever streaming was still still becoming a thing so by by the time scrub cup had run had come around streaming had become more established but yeah. We had figured out that in order to actually run a tournament in a well-organized way, you only stream the winner's bracket. So if you think about yeah. it from the Scrub Cup perspective and the people that attended and did well there, 
if they go 0-2 or 1-2 every tournament, they're never really getting an opportunity to play on stream. Even if it's early yeah. in the bracket, they don't get a chance to do that because they get eliminated so quickly, all right? Because they get eliminated once, and then maybe they'll get their one shot on stream. Who knows? And then they play in losers for the rest of the time. And then when it's losers, they, you know, they uh, they don't get yeah. a chance to be on stream at all. And so I remember as someone running the stream at Scrub Cup, like getting to see players that just wouldn't ordinarily be in the stream situation. Again, it would be like second round or something. So it wouldn't be high stakes match wise, but the stream would create that additional pressure because back then that was so foreign and new to all of us. Um, yeah. So I think your event exposed that to a lot of people that wouldn't get the chance to ordinarily as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I went to go look it up real quick. That was actually 2015. So 2015? Yeah, that was a, three, three years after I'd been into the scene here. Yeah. Um, like I said, the first couple of years I couldn't I couldn't do too much uh, just because of work schedule. So that was something that um, that that I had put together. Um, and yeah, like the response from it, like I hadn't I wanted I wish I would have did something like that for Street Fighter Five. But I mean, at the time, like you know, it was uh, it was something that I was kind of real proud of. And uh, I think even like Thrasher, because I remember playing Thrasher in like Street Fighter Four tournaments, and like you know we'd run in the bracket and I would beat him. And like uh, I think he played. Was it Dudley and Akuma at different points? Yeah, um, yeah, he played, played those two. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I could tell he was new, but at the same time, like he he always had that hunger, sort of like kind of throw him into that situation, and then just to see see him thrive, and then like see the other players, like you said, like um, you know, be put in those situations for the first time, and be you know, see how they responded and and what's come from it. Like, I, you know, I always thought that, that was pretty awesome. My favorite memory of that uh, was when lurker was on the stream and she was playing jury who mm. you know, nobody played jury in street fighter four locally as well but in general nobody played jury except for a couple like real character specialists but she really wanted to play jury and she was still new to fighting games at the time and then she got put on stream um and which is a rarity i think for 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 her at that at that time in her skill level and she did well she did really well um and I think she was excited to be on stream. She was excited to play that match. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I remember the smile after. I think she even lost on the stream. Yeah. But she was so happy to have played and been able to be on that stage, I think. That's how I recall it, at least. Lurker may remember yeah. something differently. And maybe I'll reach out to her at some <laughs> point. But I remember her being happy that she got to play in that setting. And that, that setting that you helped create, Benny. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that was that was something that I was involved in. Um, yeah, so we touched briefly on like, um, uh, I'm sorry, the like the origins of MujiCon for you. Um, then I mean, yeah, Ranbats, like that might be a discussion for a later time. Uh, but what are some other things that you've been involved in here? Maybe that uh, you know people might know about. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, the MujiCon stuff was like my intro into tournaments and then after that i started helping a lot with team hazmat as far as running the brackets there um and ultimately that that was like a giant party half the time so i it's not like i busted <laughs> my ass per se it was just me learning the ropes yeah. i ran a couple yeah. of uh high profile tournaments with them um and then uh spiral series ended up taking taking point on the rambats in arizona and we ran, I want to say, three seasons of Ranbats, possibly two. I don't remember at this point. Yeah, um, yeah I want to say it was two, two for sure. Two for sure, maybe three. I'm not exactly sure. There's a longer explanation for what a Ranbat is, but for our audience, it's it's a tournament that it's a part of a series of five. And so you have seasons of five tournaments, and they all kind of stack up together. Um, 
so we did that for a couple of years and that, you know, that, that runs bi-weekly. And so it was actually kind of taken a lot out of me. Um, at that point mm-hmm. we had, uh, like we were halt, like we're, we're fortunate now and that there's plenty of internet cafes and whatnot, but back then we did have to like provide our own setups. And so yeah. constantly procuring the setups, constantly lugging my computer around and, and like, um, to, to stream it and stuff like that. And, basically putting in the long hours to run, run the Rambats kind of wore, wore on me after a little bit. And, uh, I ended yeah. up going back towards more like one-off tournaments. Um, I think the big thing that people remembered me the most for after the Rambat era would be, uh, the boot camps for when street fighter five first came out. Um, yeah. so that would be 2016, I believe February of 2016, probably closer to March. Um, yeah. And the boot camps are just they they were a event format that was less geared towards a tournament and more about promotion and demotion stations. And so what you did is yeah. you had five five stations uh, ranked in skill level, and each of those five stations would have a certain number of players on them. And basically, yeah. you'd play with that group of people, and then whoever was the best would play a promotion match to go up to the next station above. And whoever was the the worst would have to go play a demotion uh, match to go down to the station below. And so the game plan was just to make sure that everybody was on a station they belonged at and they were getting games with people of equal skill level. And that wasn't a new concept. That was something that uh, Saber had pioneered for Street Fighter 4. And I wanted to kind of strike while the iron was hot when Street Fighter uh, Street Fighter 5 had just first come out. Um, yeah. And that was always a tough one because you had to rank people in a game that had just come out. And I was fortunate enough that I was experienced enough with the game in advance to know that stuff. But there was yeah. always some mistakes here and there. Like people were up way too high in certain places because I, you know, I weighted them really highly because they were good at four. Uh, and that, yeah. you know, that 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 wasn't always the case for Street Fighter Five. Um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, part of like the format too is like in a way it, it would naturally kind of weed itself out right so if you were at a turn or i mean if you were at yeah. a station that was that was too high for your level like yeah you were probably gonna get bodied for that whole like whatever rotation and then it was just like you're in the demotion match and now you're fighting for your life to stay there and it's just like yeah because i think that's what happened with me at one point it's like i was on station one and then i got dropped down to like i don't know three or four because in total you had yeah i think you had 10 right i think we had 10 stations oh was it 10 wow was it, i don't know if it was eight or eight or ten it was one of the two Oh wow, there were that many people. Yeah, there were like 50 people who entered that thing. I forgot. Yeah, it was bigger than I thought. I remember. (laughs) Yeah, because we had both sides of 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 TGZ filled up at that point, and uh, yeah, yeah, because I remember. I just remember I was kind of stuck at like two and three, like whether I was promotion or demotion or whatever. And um, you know, our previous guest, our first guest, uh, Jeff Oldman River, he was he was constantly on one. I think he was playing birdie at the time. And, yeah, yeah. you know, then, and, and, you know, there would be an influx of people uh, up and down and like, you know, a natural progression of like, kind of like settling where you should be. And yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, that was one of my favorite things to be a part of. Cause like you did get a lot of games into like in a different kind of setting. Like I had never been um, involved in anything like that. So I thought it was a good way to one, get you know, get in a lot of games against people. And then, if I'm not mistaken, I think the format you had was like kind of like winner stays on, right? So like if you won, yep. and then the next person would step up and they would get their chance to try to win. Yep. Yep. And the idea was like everybody collaborates to beat the winner essentially because you're like, we. I wanted to promote conversation more than anything else. But I think yeah. if I could 
go back and shit on my own event. <laughs> I think one of the big drawbacks there was that the game had just come out. And so because of that, there wasn't a lot of conversation to be had. And I know that sounds like um, yeah. contradictory or like that's it seems like it would be the opposite. But what happened was everybody was still trying to learn how to play. And so they didn't right. really there wasn't a lot of constructive conversation going on because the game was still so new. People were still discovering yeah. things. And so I thought, oh, it's in the discovery phase. This will be great because then, you know, people can share their discoveries with each other. But in reality, it was stuff like, you know, people were still figuring out the muscle memory for block string timings or figuring out their own combos and stuff. And so, yeah. like, I in hindsight, I don't think I would have run the tournament. I would have run that uh, event as soon after launch as I should, as I did. Um, because I think that on the one hand, it was a good idea to strike while the iron was hot. I don't think we would have gotten 50 people a year into Street Fighter 5 by then everybody had dropped it. But on the flip side, the actual like, hey, let's practice really, really hard and, and pick apart this game that didn't happen mm. as cleanly as I'd hoped it would. And then the 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 other like unfortunate side effect was that when people were stagnant, but they still relied on like a very like a core basic set of skills. Um, yeah. they would just stay on one station. And so week after week, they just show up and get beaten up by the same person who happened to be running that station every day. <laughs> so it was really hard to, it was really hard to, to, to keep it not stagnant without the players being completely familiar with the game. So I, I like, I, I, again, I, I look back positively on it. I think that a lot of people look back on it and think of that as a really strong way to open the game up. Um, when the, when the game launched and everything, it's just that I I I think I would have more success running it now, even with a smaller scene than than I did at launch. Overall. Okay, well, yeah, I mean that that's 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 good to know because I was like I was actually thinking like you know when Street Fighter Six comes out, you know, boot camp again, right? Like oh know, so no, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's good that you got that out there. So it's just like if you want to run boot camp, like. John John may do it at some time. Just don't expect it at the beginning of the seed. <laughs> or yeah, you can actually, start it yourself, right? If there's a if there's a way for me to say this to people, because I think people just assume that I run all the Street Fighter Five events now, and that I'm yeah. going to run the Street Fighter Six events, and that's not true. Is that I have no intention yeah. of actually running any Street Fighter Six events. Um, I'm hoping that somebody else takes the takes the torch, because the reality yeah. is, that I think everyone's going to scramble to be the TO for Street Fighter Six when it comes out because it's going to be so hot. And so I don't, yeah. I don't want to get in the middle of that. I want somebody else to take point. And there's, there's already a couple of like really strong candidates and people that might even come out of retirement to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. Like I've thought about some things that I'd like to do. I just don't know how involved I want to be or, or, uh, or whether I want to do anything at all at this point. But um, sure, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it's a different topic too, in terms of like watching out for people that are going to kind of spring up out of nowhere. So, um, but that's something, that's something different. So, <laughs> cause there are, yeah. there are some shady tournament organizers out there that are looking to make quick cash or something like that. Um, you know, I, I guess just, I brought that up to our, to our burgeoning street fighter five scene and everybody was like, they kind of, they kind of reacted negatively to it. Um, it was like, you're just being yeah. paranoid. It's not, it's not a shame if people want to make money off of the scene, off yeah. of the running tournaments and stuff. And I'm like, that's fair, um, but you guys weren't around yeah. <laughs> back when the people that were trying to make money were trying to make money off the players specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things like, you know, there are going to be people that are going to be uh, predatory or 
uh, I don't know, maybe that's too harsh of a word, but more just like, you know, they are trying to, like, I don't think there's there's anything inherently wrong with making money if, you know, if that's, in, you know, that's no, what I you want to do. Yeah, it's I think just, we're at the point now where it's it's possible, but the money has to come from somewhere besides the scene, besides the fighting game. Exactly. Players. Exactly. Um, or the yeah, or the prize pot. Like that's that that's kind of what I was alluding to. Is just like that's the big thing. Is like you'll see people like, hey, it's ten dollars to enter the tournament, and then it's just like, oh, what's the prize? Oh, well, you get these generic iPods, or you get this this venue's whatever uh, gift card or something, and it's just like. People don't want that. Like for, I mean, I guess the vast majority, I would think, don't want that. Like they want, you know, where's the money that I'm putting into the pot? Where is that going? Right. Yeah, it's it's tougher now with online tournaments because, like, post pandemic tournament requirements have kind of changed a lot of what people perceive for what yeah. is acceptable at a tournament. Like, you know how I mentioned I'm drinking this beer because I got a I got it as a prize <laughs> for winning a tournament, right? Yeah. Um, like. There has been significant shift in what the prize structure looks like with online tournaments and with now post-pandemic tournaments. Um, but I think there are some base ground rules that I, I'd love to go into with, go into with you um, probably towards the end of this podcast if you want about like what what it takes to start an event and what it takes to differentiate a, a legitimate event versus a less so event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, besides, uh, what were we just talking about? Oh, we well, were so you we were talking about, about uh, my my Street Fighter Five boot camp, but I'm curious about your next phase or next step in the tournament organizing world. What what did you run um, after Scrub Cup? So Scrub Cup was 2015. I don't think I did anything in 2016, and then um, other than you know helping out here and there, whatever I could do. Um, oh no, that was uh, yeah during that time. That's when I was helping out with. Um, um, some of our big events here that were hosted by other people, like uh, the Undefeated events uh, hosted yeah. by Angelic um, for the Marvel scene. And then um, during that time, I think 2015 and 2016 was when uh, Rewired in Tucson, uh, held by uh, Driftwood and one of in his partner, I think his name was Justin. Um, you know, I helped out with those with those events. And yeah. then, and to, when you say uh, you helped out, it wasn't just you; it was your whole family, right? Like your your daughter yeah. and your wife helped too. Yeah, so yeah, my kids and my my wife were helping out. 2015, um, I I don't recall like how involved we were in that, other than maybe running brackets and setup breakdown that kind of thing. 2016, we were all in there. Like my kids and my my wife were at the registration desk, you know, handing out badges and doing stuff like that, selling selling balls, balls energy drink. Oh, <laughs> balls and, energy uh, drink. I haven't heard that in a long time. That was before Red yeah, Bull so basically took over the FGC. <laughs> yeah selling is helping to sell t-shirts or whatever at the front uh i was running brackets like all day that first day i think i ran like i don't know eight hours worth of brackets and then i had to go play play as well and like yeah i just remember being so tired but like you know it was it was it was fun like you know just seeing that that huge crowd of people and like you know being involved in that can i um, can i take a take a brief detour and talk about the the great drink gamer drink war of the 2015s and 2016s <laughs> it was like it was like balls was had like the legacy that was the legacy gamer drink is that everybody drank balls right yeah. and then monster energy tried to get in on it and i remember team hazmat partnering up with the monster people and putting like mm. um even put some monster reps on the stream once and that was that was a very interesting experiment <laughs> And then Red Bull started sponsoring players and then it basically butted Monster and Balls completely out of the market. And Red Bull's basically been 
the yeah. the the bastion of the FGC for a long time for the gamer drinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've been involved in a lot of events. I mean, um, I know that they were uh, in Undefeated. Like I remember, they you know they had Red Bull stuff at Undefeated. Yeah. And then, you know they're on, they're on a much larger scale too with uh, the FGC spot. Like you said, sponsoring player like uh, Bonchan and doing the uh, was it the Kumite? Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kumite. Yeah, I went. It, I went to the Kumite in Las Vegas, and it was an extremely well-run event. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I still have yeah. a bunch of the Red Bull swag they gave me. One of these days, I should show it on stream. They gave me like a lot of boxing, boxing uh, club themed. Like I have a, I have a boxing glove bag. Even though I don't own a pair of boxing gloves, but it's got yeah. Red Bull Kumite on it, and it's just it's got towels in it and stuff. It's so cool. Anyway, that was a big tangent. That was a big tangent about Red Bull. Uh, Red Bull is super tight. But anyway. So yeah, you were you were you were at undefeated and rewired and uh, back then you know oh. you were playing a bunch of yeah. tournaments as well as running brackets and exhausted, right? Yeah, so so helping out. Yeah, I was just I was helping out with those events and uh, yeah, that last rewired event in twenty sixteen. Like yeah, I ran I ran a bunch of brackets. I also did well in the tournament. Surprisingly, I just um, but then after that, um, I was actually looking it up. I ran a random team tournament at the start of 20, uh, 2017. I called it New Year's Retribution. I had like the picture of um, Shonuff from uh, The Last Dragon. That's like an older movie for some of the old heads out there. But uh, and I did that that random team tournament. And part of what spurned me from that was that Sen Three S Abe had ran a team tournament himself like a few months earlier. And you know the the nature of team tournaments in themselves right it's like you find your buddies like you know or the the top players might collaborate right and you're gonna have a lot of like top heavy top heavy teams favorite teams right and i i don't remember who was who was in the the team composition for for abe's tournament i think i think it was like mocha and yusuf had teamed up even or i don't know maybe maybe i got those mixed up but i just remember there was a real top heavy team right and you know there's nothing wrong with like the competitive nature of course everybody wants to win right but for me it's just like for for everybody else like i wanted to basically have a way for people to play with i guess other players that they wouldn't normally team up with so the idea behind it was to do a random 3v3 tournament and um you know so i you know i promoted it and i you know explained like what the format was and when i when i uh when everybody was there you know, the only I think the only thing that I was worried about was like if we didn't have like a, a clean multiple of three, because then somebody's yeah. gonna be left out, right? So totally. thankfully, like I think everything worked out and like I didn't even have to participate myself. Um, but what I ended up doing is like, you know, once everybody was here and everybody was registered, I took um I I I, I personally looked looked at the list and was like, Okay, who are the top eight players here? And I was gonna make them captains. And I, I think I, you know, asked you and asked a couple other people to kind of like look at this list and like, would you agree with that these are the eight best players here? And after I did that, you know, I, I basically had a hat or a container or something and put everybody else in that in that uh to be drawn from. So what I was gonna do is have each of the captains come up. Uh, if I recall, you were one of the captains and oh, you guys oh, were cool. gonna nice. Yeah, you were one of the captains because I was trying nice. to think if it was you or Nick, but I think it was you. And um, I had the, uh, you know, put everybody else's names in the hat. And then each of the captains was going to go up and draw two names. And that was going to be your partners. And I just remember because, um, you know, there was there was always that anxiety, like, who am I going to get paired with? Right. But then, like, you see who people get paired with. And then there's sometimes they were friends and sometimes they weren't. And it was just like, oh, OK, cool, cool, whatever. 
And like, I remember you got paired up with Nick and I forgot who the other partner was. Um, but you, 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 I, th- I think your team was one of the, like the more stacked teams that I thought. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But that was basically the format for how I set that up. And um, I think one thing I overheard, I don't know if it was from Velociraptor or somebody else, but somebody, somebody else, I overheard somebody say like, it's going to end up coming down to the captains. And yeah. I was like, well, ideally, like, I mean, that's what I want because then that means everybody's played, right? Like the, whatever the other two people have played and now it's down to the the top players. And like that, that was kind of my, the, the secondary thing was to get people to play as much as possible. And then also for, for people to team up with, you know, people that they wouldn't team up with. Cause like, uh, like for Tucson, right. You know, you'd expect for a team tournament, Velociraptor to come up, probably come up with Driftwood, maybe pair up with, like with Trellix, with Tyler, right? Like that would be like the Tucson, the one Tucson group. But now it was like, um, I, I fail to recall like who who was on Velociraptor's team, but it was Velociraptor and like two other people that he would probably never pair up with. And part of that was like, it was almost, it was almost like the boot camp thing, right? Like I wanted to to spur discussion or for you to like root, because you know, you have, a, you have an interest in the people on your team doing well, because you want to win, right? So it's just like, you know, maybe you and Nick are, you know, batting heads at every tournament you run into but for this tournament you're like hey nick do that thing that you always do or do whatever right you know yeah. this thing that i always hate or whatever you know you're, you're you guys are coaching amongst each other and like you know talking each other up it's a mixer and, <laughs> yeah exactly and and like i think in a, in a lot of way like i remember just you know when i saw like some of those like captains like rooting on or like i'd see them walk up to one of the other players and be like hey you know give them some coaching advice it's like I think I even said that on that day too. I was like, coaching's encouraged, like, you know, help your teammates out. Like you guys want to win. Right. And that kind of thing. And, you know, it was just a kind of, kind of a fun, like in a way, like you said, mixer kind of like icebreaker event. Cause I wanted to just get people involved and like, not just have that kind of like top heavy team that was going to like run through everybody. Right. Like I wanted people to play and, you know, the camaraderie amongst each other. I think for prizes, I gave out like the street fighter movie blu-ray or something like that oh yeah i remember that. yeah yeah <laughs> it's a it's a tough one because like i i echo john's sentiments in that yeah it's going to come down to the captains for the competitive stuff and so the the rest of the team is kind of like a, inconsequential um yeah but i've i've actually run an event in the opposite way where you make it so the team captain scores one point and then the other players score one point as well and hmm. the issue is that um, if you weight them the same, then every, nobody's satisfied at the end of the tournament because they're like, well, we technically had better players. We just lost in all the different matchups. Like I, I read an event where we tried to balance it around that and make it not come down to the captains. And even that has drawbacks and makes it not very satisfying as well because people still are like, yeah. no, I think we had the player that would have beat your entire team. And he won his match, but... Too, too bad he didn't get to play everybody else because we were wait, waiting on them the same, you know. Um, yeah. So team tournaments are always really hard to to run properly and actually get like a proper gauge of competition. And then at that point, you have to draw your line on whether or not you want it to be a social thing or you want it mm-hmm. to be a comp- competitive thing. And if it's a competitive yeah. thing, then the reality here is that nobody, no, the teams don't actually matter, and it's just ultimately who's the best player that day, and they're because they're going to run through everybody. <laughs> yeah but i mean you know it's, it was one of those things like that was just something that i wanted to do um just the team tournament in, in itself um, sure yeah 
Yeah, so I, I thought it. Oh, I thought it was one other story well. about, about a team tournament is that it, this wasn't at, at yours, but the the one you mentioned said three S ran one prior, right? Mm-hmm. And it was me and Jeff and uh, Old Man River and Danny Mitsu, and oh okay, uh, so we named our team Team Tucson, <laughs> and it 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 bothered Abe. It, I could tell it bothered Abe so much because <laughs> we were just we were like we're Team Tucson, we're Team Tucson, we're beating everybody. Um, I think I had a run in with Tyler that that tournament, and he beat the shit out of me, and I was really upset. And then Jeff ended up beating him. We actually got really far. I remember that we got really far as Team Tucson. <laughs> it was pretty good. Anyway, that was yeah. just just re- re- uh, reminiscing. Team Tucson yeah, for that, life. The the one thing I remember about that tournament was like just the fact that it ran so long because of the format. Um, I remember it ran into like I like I, my team was eliminated. It was like me. Um, it was at Luminaire and Chiron. Where, oh, uh, team scumbag, team, dude! Yeah, two, team two scumbag. Scumbags, two two scumbags and a gentleman was a team name, I think. Yeah, that um, was the joke, though. It was which one was yeah. the gentleman? Nobody fucking knew. <laughs> we were all scumbags. <laughs> but, I remember that joke. Ah, oh. yeah, I just remember. Um, the main thing I remember was just the fact that it it ran so long because like I remember yeah. our team got eliminated and I was just like I got to go home, and like I went home and I went to go check out the the stream and it was like it was going it was clocking in over midnight. And then, like, I was making jokes about, like, man, I didn't know this was a two-day tournament. I would have planned better, because, like, you know, it just it just ran so long. But yeah, you know, I, I think I think those kind of events uh, they kind of have their place, uh, you know, sparingly in the scene. I don't think you know it's something that needs to be done regularly, but it's a good way to kind of mix things up. Uh, so that might be something I do amongst like you know whoever takes the mantle for like Ranbats or like monthlies or something. That might just be something that, you know what? I just want to do a team tournament for like Street Fighter Six and let me get you know, let me see who wants to come out and just play, you know, that kind of thing. So that's something I might do in the one off. Cause that, you know, like I said, I don't know whether I want to be involved at all or how involved I want to be when Street Fighter Six comes out. But you know, one off events maybe like once a quarter or, you know, once every six months or something like that might be something that I get involved in. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where like I don't really want to run another event. Um I I by I actually intend to be still be a very large part of the community and like I intend to play a lot and I intend to stream and stuff like that. But I don't think I I think I'm past the era where I want I run tournaments and frankly there will be people I think are going to who have already done it way better than I ever did and they're yeah. still around and I think they'll keep doing better. Um so I'm hoping that like I hope that Rambats occurs. Uh, I wouldn't blame anybody if nobody picked that up. Um, I think yeah. I think in general we have a really big reckoning coming uh, as far as what locals are uh, yeah. and what like what constitutes a local. If online actually meets or exceeds in some ways offline play, then yeah. what is the point of a local? Do we? What's the point of a local community? There's all those kinds of questions that come out and. Maybe we could get into that here, but I think that would be very long, long winded. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, now that you bring that up, um, I guess that in some ways I could almost see maybe there could be a transition. So instead of like a biweekly thing, right? Because like if if online's more viable, right? Like rollback and you know the conditions for it are are things that people are happy with, right? Yeah. Like maybe they, maybe they don't want to come out every two weeks, especially like you know um, uh, if you're gonna. If you're gonna uh, end up being in the in the Ranbat mix, like for the points or for winning, right? Like you have to travel every two weeks, right? 
whether that's Tucson, which, you know, isn't super far, but, you know, it's still travel, right? Every two weeks, it's like an hour and a half, yeah, you know. I wouldn't I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. three hours round trip, you know, then you got the guys from Yuma, you know, guys from other scenes, even people coming from like the West side, right? Like we get a lot of stuff in our group where it's just like, hey, is there anything happening on the West side? Because the gaming zones in Tempe and that's kind of out of my way, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I hear that like, one a lot. Yep. Maybe, maybe instead of like a biweekly thing, maybe it transitions into like a monthly thing. So that's a once a month thing that you that you would plan for. And maybe, I mean, maybe it doesn't even need to be Randbats. Maybe it's just there's a monthly that happens, and people will people will gravitate more to that because it's you know it's less frequent. But maybe those become like larger events per se, and uh, instead of something that's more more frequent. I think that, of that, you know, but I also of, think about what does it mean to be a community, right? Where Okay, so yeah, once a month we have a local offline local, uh, a lot an offline local that you know, at least in Street Fighter V's case right now, it's it's going to be on PS4 and PC is way oh. better. PC online, yeah. in my opinion, is better than offline PS4. And so if I'm somebody that doesn't have a stake in the community, uh, which you know, obviously I'm that's not completely me, but you know, it on a on a bad day where I don't feel like going outside, I would rather just play online. And then there's a point where it's like, well, also the better players in California, what if I have a better relationship with them than I do with my locals? Uh, What if I'm, you know, I I practice more with them online than I practice offline with uh, the local scene. And what is the benefit of actually having locals at a certain point? Um, It's actually incredibly doom and gloom. And to the point, that's actually why I don't want to run tournaments anymore is that I don't have an answer to that question. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, yeah, something, I mean, I guess I haven't put too much thought into that in terms of that. Um, Cause I don't know, for me, like it's always been about the community aspect and gathering people, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I could definitely see like the convenience of, of staying at home and just playing online. And then um, I hadn't even thought about the fact that, like you said, like, I mean, for the most part, I would hope that people have good connections to, you know, the SoCal scene, uh, those kind of things. Like, you know, you, you said you play with like Alex Myers regularly. So it's just like, what benefit is there to playing locals other than, you know, maybe winning a cash prize that they write versus, you know, I can get a good training session for two hours playing with somebody in SoCal that's of a, you know, higher level or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, so like the, so. the, the people on that Ryu quest, the people who are just trying to be, they don't necessarily care about the community or they care about the social part of it. And then more that they're just trying to get as good as possible at the video game. There's actually less incentive to come out to locals. There's just le- there's less incentive to do that versus stay home, play online with the, be- with better players in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. back, back in street fighter four era in the 2010s, we would have been like, well, you're playing an inferior game. Uh, but uh, at, at least in the current era of fighting games, every fighting game runs better on PC than it does uh, on PS4 to the point where it's it's actually running better online on PSC, uh, on PC than it is on PS4. And I don't yeah. know if that's going to change uh, with this with Street Fighter Six or with Tekken Eight or with yeah. P- with PlayStation Five becoming the de facto standard. I don't. I'm genuinely curious about where locals come back. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a good point too. And then you got to think about like, there's also like the uh, the cost in terms of like if you have a PC that runs Street Fighter Four or Street Fighter Five, and you have a good experience with that online, then it's just like, you know, what if the, um, you know, do you need to buy a PS Five? Do you need to invest in that kind of stuff? 
whereas you could just buy Street Fighter Six and you know play it on your current setup. Like, you know, that's a whole whole another thing that you know might that might deter people. Because like I, you know, I'm in, I, I'm kind of in that boat. Like I could I could play Street Fighter Five right now just fine. I'm sure Street Fighter Six will run fine on the PC I got, and it's just like I don't have any real incentive to want to go buy a PS Five and then go buy a stick or you know build a stick that has a Brooks board in it to to work with that kind of stuff. Because that's you know that's you're looking at seven hundred eight hundred dollars worth of investment just to play that one game. Like I could see a lot of people just not wanting to do that at all. Yeah, yeah, and I. I, I hate to make it doom and gloom, but like uh, I, I feel like because I, I think part of what we wanted to talk about as part of this this episode was like, what does it take to start up a, a, a local, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of questions that are relevant to today that I didn't have to worry about 10 years ago to the point where I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how like we can we can talk it through um, like, yeah. like, OK, so if I wanted to start a local from scratch right what would be what would be the first thing that that we try to do um well for for me i would like one one i would probably try first gain interest in what people wanted to play right so so what what do people want to yeah pick a game or two or whatever you want to do right and then from there it's like you got to secure a venue so whether that's you know somebody's house if that's really what comes down to it which isn't you know necessarily the best best option for a lot of people like some people are just like well why do i have to go to your house why why isn't there like a public venue to go to um especially like when it, when you're talking about like some of the younger crowd that might get involved you know mm-hmm. yeah. parents don't want to be like where are you going you want me to drop you where yeah Versus, yeah oh can you drop me at this gaming store can you drop me at this land center or this you know this uh this computer cafe or whatever and and now, uh, now we talked about like when we had Rick on the show two a couple episodes back, like he mentioned that he ran tournaments out of his apartment and crammed a ton of people there, right? But I think the big difference in today's era is that there's the the FGC skews a lot younger, and so yeah. we do have those issues of like, what if you have minors coming over to your tournament? You know, yeah, uh, like can you have them at your house? Is that is that a good idea? Yeah. Realistically, is that yeah. truly a good idea? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, especially like, you know, especially at a, at your house or, you know, or apartment or wherever you're having, like yeah. more than likely, it's going to be more of a, not necessarily a casual setting, but I mean, you're going to have, you know, you could have alcohol there, you could have other things there that, yep. you know, that again, like that, that's where like somebody, somebody's parent or somebody can be like, no, I don't want you going over there. And then like, you know, it, it becomes a deterrent for somebody to even attend an event. Yeah. So it's cause... like. The other thing is like everybody talked about the concept of neutral ground as far as like a venue goes. And in reality here is like, say you really like playing games as part of the community, but the person who owns the house that you, that runs the turn, the tournaments are run out of, you don't get along with them. Are you ostracized yeah. in the community now? And that's, that's yeah. a real thing versus a business where, you know, you're paying money to be there. You have every right to be there just like anybody else. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, I guess, yeah, when you're picking a venue to keep track of like what your age demographic is and then keep track of, you know, how many people that venue can house. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, then you have the like the relationship with the vendor, too, depending on where it's at. Like yeah. uh, like we've we, like we've hosted a lot of events at the gaming zone, which is uh, for those that don't know, that's basically like a used gaming store uh, slash uh, like gaming lobby, uh, like arcade. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. The pretty much like the gist of like what we've done with them is they just want a venue fee. Anybody that's coming in to play tournaments, you know, you're gonna play this, play this, uh, pay this fat, this flat venue fee of ten dollars, and then you can enter whatever tournaments you want and whatever fees or 
whatever might be associated with those are separate from us, just as long as you, we get our $10 or whatever for, you know, you coming into our, our place. So, I mean, you've got that, that aspect. Uh, I mean, there's other places you can host stuff, if not, you know, something gaming centric, like uh, I think in Tucson, they go to a place called Mr. Heads, which I think is like a bar. Um, mm -hmm. yep, I hadn't really bar. looked into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's places like that, that you could partner with, um, talk to the owners and, you know, you got you got to sell yourself on what you're what you're doing, right? And say, hey, uh, I'm wanting to host a video game tournament here. Is there a section of your place that we can have dedicated to us, where we can set up things um, and play? Like, is there some kind of like a minimum that you want us to deal with in terms of like, you know, people got to buy food and snacks and patronize the business? Like, no outside stuff. Um, those kind of things. I mean, you can get what's another venue? Um, I was gonna say like free venues, like. I think uh, Tucson was also hosting like out of the, the, the police station or somewhere like yeah they have something a, like there's that. a community center in the police station that they would just meet there and bring their stuff to right because the other aspects of a venue that you're going to need power like so that way you can actually run all the setups and then if you want to stream your event you're going to need a, a consistent internet connection which you know yeah. at first glance you're like oh of course you would have an internet connection but like if I've I've run I've run a, uh, an event at a at a restaurant before and it's it's not easy to get a get a cat five cable from their back office where the router is all the way to wherever your yeah. your stream setup is. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to and you can't run, run on Wi-Fi if you're streaming. You can't you can't uh, and then making sure there's enough power outlets for all the set the setups as well as your stream, like all those yeah. different logistics. Right. And with the gaming zone, we're really fortunate where they happen to have systems like PlayStations and monitors. Um, but if you don't have your venue doesn't have that like heads or like the police station, right? Who in the community is going to provide those setups for you? Yep. Um, exactly. You have to yeah, think about well, that too, right? Are you going to, are you going to, as the TO, are you going to go and shell out a bunch of money for, uh, you know, like five PS fives and five gamer approved monitors, you know, that are lightless, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then it's just like, yeah, I mean, if, yeah, like that was the other thing I was going to get to too, is like, uh, like in terms of setups, like if you don't have setups, then, you know, you're going to have to rely on the community unless, I mean, most people probably aren't going to bankroll that themselves, right? They're going to ask the community and either um, common thing in the past was always to kind of like give people a break on like their registration fee or their venue fee or something like that, right? Like I'll cover your venue fee if you bring me a setup, right? But, but even that, and, you have to negotiate that with the venue as well to be like, you need to let these people in because they're helping run the event technically, right? Exactly, yeah. Because the venue is basically taking the hit on that front. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, those are, those are things to consider too. Um, yeah. yeah and, then... and, and to be constructive, like I think raw numbers wise, like if you, if you're looking to run an eight man tournament, you're not going to need more than two setups. If you're yeah. looking to run, I would say all the way up to a 24 man bracket, you could probably get off, get by on two setups. It'd just be slow, but then anything yeah. above anything above 24, uh, if you're in 32 territory, you definitely want to have three to four setups instead. Yeah. Um, and then that, I, oh yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say the thing that kind of like even spurned uh this conversation or me me even thinking about this was just the fact that in our Facebook group there's uh occasionally there'll be somebody randomly from I don't know, some some random city like Prescott or something, like, hey, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, I can't make it to Phoenix or Tucson, like how should I get started doing things? So um yeah, it's more of like a 
um, yeah, just just on our experiences, like on my own experience, just working with venues and uh, doing those kind of things in terms of securing setups. Uh, like, you know, you got to talk to, you, you know, you got to be willing to kind of put yourself out there and reach out to people in the community. Hey, man, like, I, you know, you're a big Street Fighter player. Do you think you can bring a setup? And like, you know, that's all stuff you got to coordinate. Um, um, what, what the, what's the other thing I was getting to? Oh, uh, in terms of like uh, with those setups, like you got to take into account like whether people might end up leaving, like or they need to leave, right? Most people yeah, aren't going to be like, oh, them. yeah. Yeah, they're gonna take their setup. They're not gonna leave you with their their console and their monitor and whatever. And like, oh yeah, I'll come get it later. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna they're gonna be ready to take that. So that's something you gotta take into account too. Like how long are you gonna be here? Uh, those kind of things, like the time constraints. Uh, those are pretty big things to think about. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get on a soapbox about you know because it's a really common tiny violin to play for a TO to be like, oh, you know, TO is a thankless job, and you know we put in all <laughs> this time, and then nobody appreciates it, all that other bullshit, right? Like that is a very real thing, but at the same time, like everybody complains about that, and you kind of know what you're signing up for when you get into being a TO, and that it's yeah. not going to be fun, and a lot of times you're going to deal with a lot of people's egos, um, but the reality is that. If you are like, I think, I think what I'm trying to bring up by asking all these questions and I think what you're bringing up as well, Benny, is that, that if you know what you're getting into, you know, it's going to be a lot of hard work and yeah, it's not going to be as simple as if I just start this venture, then I, I have the potential to make a lot of money on it because the game, because esports is booming right now. It's more yeah. so that like, you have to think about all these extra things because every thing you don't think about makes the tournament worse and makes the makes it worse for the players as well and makes it worse for the community as a whole. Yeah. Um, I mean and, and on a, I was going to say the, uh on a side note like you don't even need to run tournaments per se. Like I mean you may not get enough people at your smaller local to run a tournament or want to run a tournament. Like it could it can honestly just be like a public casual session, right? Like you can just get enough people there and maybe people don't want to want to play in a tournament. You know, you yeah. could just be like, just run like casual King of the Hill kind of arcade type setups and be like, oh, winner, winner gets next kind of thing. My so golden rule is like, that if, if if we have a casual session and it's under, if, if it's under eight people and they want to run a tournament, then we run a round robin instead. And if it's over yeah. eight, then we run a double limb bracket. But uh, if it's under eight, there's no, like at that point, it's less about getting the competitive experience and more about getting as many games in as possible in a structured way where, where something actually matters, where the result matters. Yeah. Um, so round robins are a really good substitute for that. So like, you know, you mentioned, you know, people posting in our Facebook group about like, Hey, I'm open Prescott and I want to start an FGC. That's where I would start is let's, yeah. let's make an event and be ready for a low turnout. So prep for maybe two setups, right? Bring two setups yeah. max. And then from there, if it's above eight, run your double limb bracket, run the bracket you always dreamed of. But if not, adapt to it and then play around Robin instead and make sure that the people that do show up have reason to come back to the next one and then you slowly grow. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's something that I've seen uh, in some like, you know, Facebook events. Like people will even preface that in their thing. Like if we get eight people, then um, I think my, yeah, my friends in Alaska do that. Like though, if we get this many people, we'll run around Robin or if we don't get this many people, we'll run around Robin. If we get more then yeah, we'll run a double Elim or whatever and go from there. Yeah. So yeah, it's something like, you know, set expectations for like the people that uh, may be coming so that they know, you know, like, like you said, like you're going to start small. Like I hope that, you know, if you're starting a local, you wouldn't expect like, 20 people to show up, you know, <laughs> but I, I think, I think a lot of people do, honestly, I think when they get into the TO 
uh, the TO mindset, right? Oftentimes it's either because they're a former player and they're familiar with the community or they're from outside the community and they're like, you know, I want to run esports numbers. I want to run a major, I want to run Evo, right? And they come in with really high expectations and they get maybe like 20 people to come out. Maybe, maybe oftentimes it's under like five people because they didn't advertise it or something or the, the, you know, the tournament was run on poor equipment. Um, And then they get discouraged. Uh, because they were, you know, they shell out a bunch of money for a venue or something, expecting a million people to show up. And in reality, it's not as simple as that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I think that it's important to recognize when your attendees, your attendance list is going to be artificially increased versus when it's going to be increased based on your the product that you offer. Um, yeah. What will happen when Street Fighter Six comes out, or when any new fighting game comes out, is Everybody's going to be fiending for tournaments. And so I expect Street Fighter 6 tournaments to break 40 people in Arizona. 40 is even a very, very conservative number because we've we've gone, I think we we hit 65 once for Street Fighter 5. Yeah, Street Fighter 5 launch tournament, yeah. Right. I so I expect I expect a huge uptick in tournament numbers, but then what's going to happen is everybody's going to be trying to get in on that and they're going to fragment the scene and split it up. And then you're also going to be battling against that aforementioned pandemic locals online issue where our locals ever actually truly going to come back. And so temper your expectations when you get into the scene, expect to get, I would, I would temper it to be around eight people. And if you financially can't find that viable, then it might not be a good look. Uh, Or at least you, you, if you, if you, if you financially don't find that viable and you're not willing to lose the money on it, then like, it sounds like you probably weren't really interested in running the tournaments in the community anyway. I know that's a little harsh, yeah. <laughs> but um, like you got to be willing to take the loss at the beginning. And if you're not, then that's more power to you and that's fine, but know what you're getting into yeah. eyes wide open. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, you don't even necessarily need to take a loss. I mean, it's just like, you know, it, if in anything, it could just be like, it's just not anything that you're going to gain monetarily from, right? Maybe yeah. initially, like it'll just be, you know, I got setups here. I got a venue secured. You know, the venue is getting paid. The players are putting their money into the prize pot. And it's just like, there's no, you know, there's no other stream of stream of income for you, right? It's you're there to to set everything up and to put everything together. And it's like, you know, it's not like somebody's going to be like, hey, man, here, thanks for doing this. Here's 20 bucks, right? Unless you have a deal with the venue to do that. For for me personally, um, I always kind of just did things for the for the community. So any events that I ran, was like I wasn't worried about like I'd have I've had venues ask like oh what 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 do you want your cut to be from like the venue fee and I'm like sure. I don't need a cut like this is this is for this is just something I want to do and you know if it helps you guys out great and you know I'm not looking to get get anything out of this other than you know bringing people together kind of thing I've so, I've actually negotiated a cut with the venue before where like mm-hmm. it was I won't name the venue but it was a five dollar venue fee and then I took one dollar of it. And so hmm. I made 30 bucks that day <laughs> for, <laughs> for an eight hour day. Like it was, it didn't even remotely cover my time, let alone my, uh, the, the cost. Exactly. Oh yeah. All the, the time. Yeah. And stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's a big thing too. Yeah. The, yeah. The Cause time my, that you've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, uh, I don't know. Again, it, it, like don't go into it expecting you're going to make a ton of money. Cause I think that, I think that, People see Evo and they're like, I'm going to make as much money as Evo does. And then they immediately go to the attendees because that's the numbers that people see. They're like, oh, you know, Evo brought in 6,000 people this, this, this year. Right. 
And in reality yeah. here is those 6,000 people are paying a venue fee, but that's not where you're making your money. You're making your money off of the stream and off of the advertising revenue and off of the sponsors from the big, the relationships with the big companies that you have and the booths that are there and whatnot. And if you're running a local tournament, you're not going to have any of that, any of that. Yep. So the main revenue stream for these big dogs and these big majors that you're trying to, to emulate, you're not going to have that. And so you have to be okay with that and be willing to take whatever comes with that, <laughs> whatever cost comes with that really. Uh, yeah, because exactly. what, what I see people, what I see a lot of organizers do then is they double back and say, all right, well, if I can't, if I don't have access to that stuff, I'm going to instead try to just focus on getting money from the people that do show up like the players and the players really don't have that money and they don't have that sustainable revenue stream for you because they, they could, they could enter the tournament, have a shitty time and decide not to come back next time. And then you're exactly. out on that and you're still paying the same venue fee. You're still paying the same expenses that you were. Um, yep. <laughs> so it's, it's, just, that's just my giant word of caution. Anybody trying to get in on it. And then to the mm -hmm. players, like the word of caution is when you, when you are attending these tournaments, like keep track of how they are, how they are monetizing it, what their business model looks like. Um, because yeah, exactly. If yep. it's like, Hey, I'm going to charge you 30 bucks and then you get a free drink or something to, if you win, like, think about whether or not the 30 bucks is worth your time. If it's, if it's part of versus getting casual somewhere else or getting a, like getting at a tournament that actually pays out. And that, that may or may not be the case. That might be the only show in town, in which case that's the way to go. But um, we've debated a long time about what prize structures look like, about what the venue fees look like. Um, like I think Benny, you touched on that briefly being like, make sure you keep the venue fee separate from the prize pot. Right. Yeah. Um, that's exactly, a huge yeah, so, thing. Go ahead. Yeah, that's sorry. yeah. Um, yeah, I was just that's something I wanted to touch on just in terms of like um especially like when Street Fighter Six comes out, you're gonna have um people that you know maybe you've never heard of in the scene, you know, kind of say start promoting something like, Hey, I'm running this tournament at this whatever. Like I think one thing I've seen recently in the last couple of years is like these vape places or something like that, or these like hookah lounges and stuff like that. They're like, Hey, we're running a tournament here, and it's just like What's the entry fee? Ten dollars, twenty dollars to get in and to get put into the bracket, and then you know, naturally, like me, I always look at like, well, what's the price structure? Because yeah. you know, from from running tournaments myself and participating, like typically, you know, all the money that that I'm paying into to entry, supposed to go into the prize pot, right? And then that gets split up whether like top three, whatever percentage, 70, 30, 10, or seventy, twenty, ten, however you want to put it, right? Um, so when I see these places that are like, hey, it's twenty dollars to get in. Okay, first prize is going to be these. Uh, they advertise them as iPods, but they're not like actual Apple iPods. They're like some generic Amazon ones that were like 30 bucks, right? And then it's like, oh, then you can get, we'll be giving out a GameStop gift card or we'll be giving out this. And, you know, for me, like what I do, I start breaking down, like, like you said, almost like the, the business model is a structure because I'm like, okay, if I'm putting $20 into this and let's say, you know, 10 people show up, right? That's 200 bucks. Right. And then I start looking at, well, what is this guy giving out? And it's like, well, if he's giving out these generic iPods, okay, that's like 30 bucks, $20 gift card. And then it's just like, okay, where's that other $150 going? Is that just money that he pocketed or, you know, whatever. Right. Like, I don't know, to me, like, I don't necessarily want to say that those are like the most shady events, but that's always kind of how I break things down in terms of me. Cause it's like, I expect the money that I put into a tournament to, to hopefully come back to me in some form. And, you know, and a good percentage of that, not for like half of it to 
to be distributed, you know, or just half of it to be cash for the organizer. Because that's one thing I always question. I was like, I've I've done it in our group it, itself. I'm just like, hey, I noticed these these headphones that you had, these iPods or whatever. These aren't actual I, Apple iPods or Apple. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, AirPods. <laughs> Apple earpods. Yeah, they're not actually AirPods. Apple earpods. So, you know, I look these up. These cost this much. So, like, where's the rest of this money going or, you know, what, something like that? And maybe, you know, I mean, maybe that's not the, the best way to go about it. But it's like it's something that I personally question because I'm like, where's, you know, where's this money going that I, I'm hoping to, like, win back or double my money or whatever. You know what I mean? It's a philosophical thing, too, because... Like the way the gaming zone operates, and that was after like a lot of consultation with the community, is that it's a ten dollar venue fee and then five dollar tournament entry, just as a hypothetical, right? Yeah. And so they they just keep the raw ten dollars and the five dollars goes to a tournament pot, and that's the number they get split amongst top three, right? And so the, to the average player, that's that's really clean cut, right? But what I think yeah. a lot of venues try to do, and they make the mistake of doing, is they say, all right, what's well, a twenty dollar flat fee? And then we're going to take a percentage of the pot and then you're going to get a smaller percentage of the pot. And to it doesn't like fundamentally like like or rather it's a $15 fee, right? So, so fundamentally the players are still paying the same amount of money and they're actually getting awarded the same amount of money. But it feels yeah. worse because you're like, no, like the venue is taking part of my accomplishment as somebody who plays top three. And so yeah. you have to like separate them. So that way your consumers are really satisfied with uh it's it's optics yeah. it's philosophical optics <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's that's true because like if you think about it because like that, that was a, a discussion with evo too that i saw on twitter was like people are like man i'm paying 75 dollars 85 dollars for this venue fee and mm -hmm. it's just like they they, they want to see like the value and what they're paying for with that because yeah. a lot of people they don't see like especially for these larger events like there's a ton of costs that go into i mean we're i mean that's going beyond like the local scene but that's something that a lot of people don't think about so it's like, but you know, at the end of the day, people want want value for like what they're what they're putting in. So it's just like, if, whether that's a ten dollar venue fee, five dollar venue fee, a seventy five dollar venue fee, what am I getting out of that particular portion of it, other than the price pot, right? Yeah. Because you may you might not make it in the money for the price pot, but okay. So what did my money go towards? Like you know, is this a, like you said, time wise. Um, was this a was this a good environment like this bar or this restaurant or whatever it's at or this gaming this gaming place like is this a good place that I want to you know that I want to support and put my money towards? Yeah, and, and by no means are we saying that like that it's it's evil to make money off of running a tournament. Like it's still yeah. like that's that's how you that's how you grow the the tournament series and that's how you grow the community in a lot of ways is that there has to be some form of income there i think the kicker is whether or not that money is coming from the players and how much of it is coming from the players because after a while you tap these this community dry then you either cut and run or you find another way to to grow your grow the scene a little bit more and a lot of people cut and run yeah um, i think another thing for, for from the player standpoint on how to like be defensive and watching for quote unquote shady tournaments is just look at the equipment that they run on. Um mm -hmm. like if they're running it on and I've seen this throughout the years is like you'll you'll get invited to to a tournament and you'll go to the tournament and it's run on a bunch of you know TVs that um you yeah know, people would have in their living room these big plasma L C D screen TVs, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. they're really laggy or they're running on a uh, on a on a system that's not competitive standard. Like there's one time I think I saw a PlayStation Marvel three tournament run. And it's like, well, half the community doesn't have a PS three stick. 
So it was kind of yeah. like, what, what do we do with this? You know? Um, <laughs> and then they were charging money and it, it was, it was just a little difficult to really rationalize that experience when it was subpar for what other, uh, TOs would offer from within the community that favored the competitive scene. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I was gonna say that's a, that's a big thing too, because it's like to the everyday, like kind of casual person, like, if I was to go talk to my neighbor and talk about video games or something, right? They'll be like, oh, yeah, I play on this 72-inch screen or this projector, right? And I'm like, that's got to be laggy as hell, right? But, you know, for the competitors, like, yeah, that's something you got to take into account, too. Like like you said, like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen that plenty of times, too. Like, hey, we're hosting this tournament, and then it's on a console that's like, yeah, like you said, PS3. Like, it's last generation, or it's like, uh, it could be something that's not the ideal format or the, the competitive standard and then it's it's one of those things like yeah it ends up being like a bad experience or you're kind of like questioning like i don't want to say like people have bad intentions because i don't think you know obviously everybody doesn't have bad intentions some people just want to host something and that might be what they have access to right like if i host a cross tekken tournament i'm not going to have pc setups it's like hey guys i got a 360 do you guys got 366 to work with this you know that kind of thing and they might that's where (laughs) exactly and that's that's where like you're gauging at the community in terms of like what they're playing and you know, what console is the standard. Like I'm like real, like I don't, I don't try to put a barrier to like do people that want to get into this. It's more just like, uh, or even like what their reasons are. It's just like, if I see that there's like good communication and feedback coming back, like from your discussion in your Facebook event or whatnot, then, you know, at that point, like, I feel like you have good intentions and it's like, you're trying to do what's best for not just yourself, but also for like the people that you're, you're hoping to get to your, to your tournament or to your local. Right. I think that's a really good point, Benny, is that like, you know, we talked about like all these red flags for tournaments, but the reality here is that sometimes people are just really passionate and they just want to get into it and they want to try it. Mm -hmm. And then if it doesn't work out, they want to improve on it. So it might be as simple as just telling them that. So you might run into like I remember there was a comic book shop that ran in tournaments and they ran on these really laggy TVs and it was mm-hmm. not a good tournament experience, but you could tell they, you know, it's, it's a comic book shop. They really just wanted to get foot traffic in there and they wanted to like cater to the community scene and everything. Yep. And they just wanted to, to run a good event. And so I told them, here's where you, you could improve. And uh, they listened uh, and we had a couple more tournaments there. Uh, I've also had run into venues before that didn't listen and were like, no, this is the way it's going to be. And if you don't like it, yeah. you don't have to show up. And then those tournaments aren't running aren't running anymore because the competitive scene by and large was like, no, this isn't worth it. Um, exactly. So yeah. like it, the TO could just be trying their best. And you, if you give them the benefit of the doubt and inform them on what community standards are, if there are any anymore. Um, yeah. And, and they can either, they can either accept that or they can try to try to spearhead it their own way and then hope that the community doesn't end up blacklisting them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that, that's probably going to be the last thing I touch on was just like um, you bringing up that example about the comic book shop. It's like there was a there's a gaming land place that uh, ran some I think Dragon Ball and Street Fighter tournaments at one point, and mm-hmm. you know they have you know their setup is you know it's to the casual viewer it looks awesome, right? Like you have a gaming chair in front of this big TV that you're sitting in front of, right? And you know probably like a thirty inch or something like that, forty inch TV, and like. From the outside, you know, the casual person looking in, you know, it's a gaming center. Oh, this is an awesome setup. All my friends can have their own stations kind of thing, right? But for, like, the fighting game community, that's not ideal at all, right? 
or you know the type of tv that's that was being used was not ideal and like yep. you know they had a good good turnout but then it was just like well this isn't normally what we play on but then like you said from a business standpoint for those kind of people like they've already invested in what they thought or what they wanted and what they envisioned for their business and what they want this to look like to the to the public and it's like well this is what we have to work with you know i'm not going to go buy these you know these uh these monitors or stuff that you guys need for your stuff and you know you've either got to be okay with that and not having that uh like the competitive the hardcore scene going to those events because it's like you know the majority of them aren't going to go there like you're probably going to be you know if you've attempted to reach out to the fgc but you're not willing to make the make the sacrifices and make the purchases that are going to cater to that scene then it's just like i mean you can't really expect them to show up and i think yeah and um, it might not be as simple as like you know go out and buy the monitors that we want it could be a, something like work with the community and have them bring the monitors because they definitely have them yeah, right exactly yeah. yeah yeah so it's like yeah if, if you're going to be able to accommodate uh things in that way you could be you could be more successful that's that's why like a lot of times we've been super fortunate to have the gaming zone and um the way that they've run things because they've been uh perceptive or respect or what's the word i'm thinking receptive to feedback receptive, yeah. from the from the community in terms of like hey what monitor should we get what system should we run this on because we want you know to have the stuff that you guys need here without you guys having to, to bring your own stuff yep. and i think you know obviously like you know the pandemic and other things probably factored into it but you know during the time that you know things were thriving like that made it super easy to to run events and do things there because then it was just a matter of like hey can i secure a date here and it's just like you know it's an incentive for them to get people in so it's just like yeah you can have this date we're not doing anything or there's no birthday party going on here so yeah, yeah you can have the venue there and you know we have all they have all the setups and everything you don't have to worry about that you just got to be you know pr from there it's you know promoting your event and getting the getting people out there my last little anecdote for this episode would be a tournament that um, it, it, the, the wackiest tournament, the tournament that I tell people about when I'm telling stories at bars and stuff is uh, there was a Marvel three tournament that was run at a strip club. Uh, it's actually down the street from where I live now. Coincidentally. <laughs> oh, it's funny you yeah. bring that up. Cause I think I, as I was scaring the SRK forums, I think I yeah. ran into something about that. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the strip club's business model is, is less so about, you know, making sure that they collect a venue fee and more about making sure that the entertainment uh, gets the, <laughs> gets the tips they want. Right. And it, it, you know, it was on a Sunday afternoon, so you weren't get you were getting the B team for sure. <laughs> but, um, the cool thing about that tournament is that it was, I believe it was free entry. Obviously I could have gone and gotten the buffet or something if I wanted to, <laughs> but, uh, all the tournament, all the actual setups were run on, like they were hooked, they were hooked up to the stage. And then they were running Asus monitors with 360 setups, so they were running tournament standard equipment while there was there was entertainment hanging out above us. And so I ended up winning that tournament just on a weird technicality. I, I forget why. I ended up, I got like a twenty five dollar Best Buy gift card from uh, from a strip club tournament. And then my friend Sean actually got one of the, one of the numbers from the some from somebody who worked there. <laughs> um, uh, he's happily married now. Uh, the, the didn't end up panning out or anything. Sorry, Aza, yeah. <laughs> for bringing that up. Uh, but like, it it doesn't have to be like that. Like we talk about shady organizers. I want to be clear in that 
the venue itself wasn't shady or anything like that. That was a really well-run tournament. It was very clear <laughs> about what their definitions for the prizes were. They were clear about wh- what their business model is for why you were there. And the, and the equipment that they ran on was uh, tournament standard. And so I, I laugh about how funny of a situation that story is, but it was honestly a really good tournament. And those are the kind of memories that you want in your tournaments, honestly. <laughs> yeah. That that's funny. Like yeah, like like I said, like I was as I was looking through the Shoryuken forums, uh, you know, looking for random stuff that I would have posted or from the AZ scene. Like that was that was something that I like stumbled upon, and I was just like, "What was this? And like, what what is this yeah. talking about?" So shout out to, to shed the, light on it. Yeah, shout out <laughs> to the Devastation crew. They don't tend to get a lot of uh, praise in our in the history of our scene, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. But I do think that they ran a really good event there. They ran several of good events throughout the history of our scene, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to touch on them in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. This was a this was a good discussion. I think um, we're gonna pick up again on Thursday, which is the 18th. Uh, yeah. And again, like, uh, yeah, I, I talked about it last time briefly, but yeah, we're gonna be talking to uh, Daniel Dragon Ninja about uh, Dead or Alive and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's good talking to you again, John. Yeah. Take care, Benny. It was nice, nice talking to you about our our past experiences and whatnot, and I'm looking forward to. Talking to you more about that on May 18th. All right, man. Have a good one. See ya. I just spilled my beer everywhere.